0: Welcome to HubSpot's unconventional business podcast. I'm your host, James Gilbert. The best companies are the ones that make it incredibly easy and delightful to do business with. It's seamless, frictionless, intuitive. It's not just a better experience, they're actually disrupting our very notion of what consumers should be able to expect from companies. You see, Aussies and Kiwis are a hard bunch to please. We have some of the highest expectations in the world, and luckily for us, our homegrown businesses know this. This season, on HubSpot's Unconventional Business, you'll be meeting some of our best homegrown brands as they share how they're growing and winning by disrupting the customer experience. Let's meet today's guest. Back in 2010, two civil engineers were working in rural Queensland, trying to replace some broken down equipment that was wreaking havoc and productivity on an earthworks job. After trying to search online to find replacements, they quickly realized there was no online solution, but this needed to be fixed. So in the spirit of True engineers, they decided that they would be the ones to build it themselves. And what they built was iSeq Plant, now Australia's largest online construction hire marketplace. Today, we're joined by the CEO and co founder of iSeq Plant, Sally McPherson. Sally, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. For people that aren't familiar with iSeq Plant, how would you describe the business?
1: Well, it's it's a two-sided marketplace, you know, by its very definition. But it's grown into so much more than that. I Plant is a marketplace website, but 500 other websites as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then a whole bunch of other side hustle, I guess you would call it. But um, yep. we intend to be a sort of... I guess, a horizontally kind of integrated marketplace where we provide more and more helpful services and software to the industrial services suppliers. Uh, The marketplace is its core reason for being, but we have been able to um, iterate our business model by providing additional digital services to the industrial services space. And that kind of grew from you know, people would register an on plant and not have a domain, not have a website.
0: And is that because a lot of the suppliers are often smaller businesses and so they don't have those capabilities in-house as much or what's the dynamic that's given rise to, to you being able to offer those services?
1: I just think plant and equipment and construction is just kind of behind the eight ball in terms of digitalisation. Um, and I think that um, it's because everything was just done – very old, in an old-fashioned way, lots of handshakes, mm. lots of, uh, you know, looking each other in the eye when you when you do things. And I, I don't know, it's just an old-fashioned industry built on old-fashioned principles, which I love. Um, and it's just ripe for organisation. There's so much money to be saved in finding the right suppliers w- with a close proximity to your job, especially in a country like Australia um, that has, like, such broad geographical expanse and then little cities spotted everywhere you know mobilizing a machine costs thousands and thousands of dollars and any anything you can do to find a supplier locally or a machine to a um, particular specification locally saves you a fortune um, on your job and has real productivity impacts so um you know the fact that the, the business was born from like a real problem and a real issue that um, my co-founders were trying to solve so yeah it's born from this i guess this need to cut costs in infrastructure and mining projects Mm -hmm. and residential projects and agricultural projects and you know the the need to Transition more of their business development activities online as well. So a lot of our customers are like got guys driving around in Utes eating Chico rolls, driving into site sheds, you know, at one hundred and ten thousand dollars a headcount. Um, whereas leads on IC plant cost them between six and twenty bucks a go. Um, you know, wow. it's, it's just a different, it's a more competitive way of doing business and drumming up business for the on the supply side.
0: The one thing I always get curious about with businesses where the industry is somewhat behind the eight ball is or behind like the digitization path of other industries is what does that, um, that sometimes I imagine makes it hard to have initial success as well, where it's like, oh, there's actually better ways for you guys to get business here. We'll send you leads from a website and somebody might be like, what do you, what do you mean? Like I'll just chat uh, to Frank and Frank hooks me up with business.
1: Oh uh, Yeah.
0: What, what was that like in the early days? It was bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I yeah, imagine. I
1: mean, like getting laughed at, getting told to, um, you know, leave the office, the internet isn't real, oh, wow. you know, to meeting people oh, wow. that had never heard of Facebook, um, to <laughs> I never did drop online, real. I never will. Yeah. Um, wow. The, you know, right through the the gambit, um, the education process has been so long. We're still in the middle of it, but we're really, really committed to to helping our customers understand that they can be doing things cheaper. And you know, to go back to that reference about the guy driving in the in the U.K. You know, they're paying that guy $110,000. The most he can do is take three meetings a day. Um, You know, we're we're trying to express to them, you know, every time that guy drives onto a site shed, it's costing you $350. And he's not driving in there at a time when something is required or someone's looking for something, you know. And so what we do is we try to relate everything back to common denominators in these businesses, common overheads, common expenses, and try to show them that the internet can do it so much cheaper for them and how much cost they'll cut out of their cost base and they're all ears then because they're they're you know the profit margins in plant equipment and in some construction services are really low um and there's a lot of pressure on them as well so um you know once we found this way over the last seven years of getting through to them and making it resonate to the to the extent that COVID has really shoved the whole attitude process that's interesting yeah. We have never done it. We've never done a video call with a customer. And now I just walk down like the hallway where our meeting rooms are and it's just customers dialing in every day. We can't see our customers anymore. We're not able to go and visit them, which is how we used to sell. Um, yep. and it's like something in their brain has changed around, okay, I've got to video call my customers now and I've got to do business from devices and digital lead generation and it's like the the idea has mushed in their brain and it's really really made a difference and the attitudes are changing so fast like we're even hearing about people using paid traffic acquisition like pay-per-click and adwords never before um it's just changing really fast their attitudes are really really moving forward and that's um i think i i do think we've had a big part of that like we've been We've been beating this drum now for nine years. It's a long time.
0: But even I, I understand COVID must actually be a bit of a godsend to your business where a lot of these people who previously were, it was taking a while to educate, yeah. now didn't have a choice but to learn about this stuff. And and I think to your point, like once they realise they can just probably hop on a video call from home versus having to jump in the car and drive two hours to go and do a meeting and drive two hours back, uh I doubt they'll do that again for a while. But you saw success pre-COVID as well. Like, what were some of the ways you were able to – I love your marketing. Wish I could uh, do the same. I think it's a bit trickier (laughs) as a public company, but I could understand that got crazy viewership and and probably – definitely entertained your audience, whether it educated it, I would i would be super curious to find out, but you definitely saw success. So what were some of those early wins? Was it all around cost?
1: So, I mean, we have a very substantial kind of outbound sales and marketing engine here. Um, mm-hmm. We built the majority of our brand in social. So like our yep. voice um, in social, but it's not, any type of branding or marketing trickery, believe it or not, that's just the humour of my brother and I and our fa- like the other founders. Like we've just got a very self deprecating, very Australian kind of attitude in that. And I was the one writing the blog to start with, and you know it took off like a bottle rocket. Like there was nobody mm. having opinions about construction and mining at that time, and all of the industry publications were just you know, basically cash for comment type publications. And I was taking a position on things that were really contentious, like, you know, Carmichael Cole and and some of the other major projects and, um, you know, the Greenies targeting construction and, and project delays and all sorts of stuff. And it was just like, it was just unbelievable. The success of our blog back in 2014 or 15 was just astronomical. And then the impact that had, I would walk into every sales meeting, and there was not a not a single meeting where someone didn 't say, "I read your blog, I love it um so oh, that wow. was so that was a big part of the early days and then I mm-hmm. sort of ended up not being able to write as much, and we had to sort of ghost write it and 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 we just kept them we sort of focused in social around um uh, you know, around funny stuff and around the brand message, we did a couple of viral campaigns and then the driver, which is probably the one you're referring to where we did the Uber mm-hmm. thing with the franner. Um, yeah. we do, we write all that stuff internally. We shoot it with friends. Um, you know, wow. all of those messages are all done internally. Um, and, but the the process of, to answer your question, the process of educating the market has been a face to face, situation it has been sitting in yep. front of a guy I've got this ROI calculator thing where I built where I've taken all of the data from like the, our 500 customer websites and shown them that I can reliably predict how much revenue they might make out of a website and their investment mm-hmm. in that website versus things like like we've just done so much to try to get them over the last couple of years to understand they can save so much money by taking a part of their business and moving it online and then we're sort of moving even more now into sort of consulting work where we're helping them establish some of the frameworks that we built within our sales team flow, which has got a lot to do with HubSpot um, mm-hmm. in like real-time tracking of proposals and sales funnel management and, um, you know, the way in which we, we actually follow up with leads and, We're we're actually developing those frameworks now for our customers. It's really cool. And now it's like really cool to be a part of it. And it's really cool that they're trusting us with it.
0: Yeah. So you've kind of almost got like three businesses, it sounds like, you're trying to solve. Like you're trying to get suppliers for the marketplace, get customers for the marketplace, and then you're trying to almost provide marketing engines for those suppliers individually.
1: Yeah. So we have a marketplace business. We have an internal digital agency. And we now have a finance company as well.
0: Was that always a vision or has that been something that over time it was like, oh, the marketplace is clearly needed, let's get started there. And then it was like a lot of these suppliers actually really need a digital agency that has knowledge and skills in this area and that's an obvious extension. And then I guess where there's big ticket prices, uh, finance often follows. So that was probably – was that – thought out extension or it was just no we just wanted to do a marketplace and as we got into it we realized there was this other need
1: we started off with a marketplace and the boys and i thought that we could have this like cute website that we earned a couple of million dollars a year off and we could surf on our lunch breaks we set it up in perigian beach which is the absolute worst place to have done it um, <laughs> we got a competitor in sort of year one that had a bit of capital and we're giving us a bit of a tickle up really early on and we realized that the scale of what we had sort of embarked on. And then we started to read a lot more about like marketplace theory and a lot more about um, how to build a marketplace and how much capital it requires. And I think we realized that we just had to go hard or go home. And uh, we had started to really experiment with some disruptive concepts, like some enterprise stuff going direct into the contractors kind of procurement processes. And that's how we ended up on um, Seven's radar, and when mm-hmm. we met Seven, and they were really they were keen to invest, and we went through that investment process, and then yep. I guess set our sights on the big time, and then work kind of towards the big time. And the Seven investment was really helpful in sort of um, putting us in the leadership position in the eyes of the customer. And then yep. after that, I think once we met Macquarie, we were sort of understanding that like we could be, we could have a chance at the real big time. So that, I don't know, your, your horizon just yeah. keeps changing keep going. Like, and so, it, and so if you are to look at what the different opportunities are for I plant to sort of realize it's full potential. If you look at the other marketplace businesses and the structures they have, they're often an integrated group of companies that has many, many offerings into the same network customer base. And that's what makes the marketplace mm-hmm. so valuable.
0: That seems to be the path we hear from a lot of businesses where, um, you know, And then it's mixed in whether they'll tell you this or not. Because sometimes some, once they're big, will say, yeah, we always planned on this. This was our vision. And occasionally it's true. But more often than not, it's like something that they've iterated their way to. Like they started with one thing and then that unlocked another opportunity that they didn't see at the start. and, And that just keeps compounding. And I think in a situation like yours where they all feed off each other to a degree around this marketplace concept. It, it makes a pretty valuable business. Did you all consciously have a moment when you it sounded like the seven investment was a pivotal time where you went from, okay, we're just going to be surfing making millions of dollars and just well, we'll look, that's obviously IT very
1: reductive. But... We're working really hard,
0: <laughs> yeah. but, but yeah. before that
1: we were, but uh, yeah i i think i went surfing on three lunch breaks tops, right the whole time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah but did you all did it require some level of i didn't had you all left your jobs at that stage or that was a time where some of you were working in other jobs and this was on the side or what did that look like personally because it feels like it would have been a level up recommitment kind of thing
1: oh my god yeah so i was at microsoft before um i left mm-hmm. microsoft in 2000 2000- so the platform launched in like October, 2012, and I left Microsoft in 2013, January. So it wasn't, it wasn't long after, um, and lived very, very humbly for the first mm-hmm. couple of years. And it was a really long, long time before I see plant could afford to pay me like any, anything meaningful. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there's been certainly a lot of, um, there was a lot of financial sacrifices in the early years and then there's been a huge number of personal sacrifices. I've had kids in the middle of this, which I do not recommend. Um, <laughs> I recommend having kids. I don't <laughs> recommend having it in the middle of a startup. That's fair. We all have very kind of patient partners and very, you know, we're, we're very tight. There are three working founders in the business. We've got a really great working relationship um, that thankfully goes from strengths to strengths. And I think it's, I think I plan is where it is today because we, we all have these weird and wonderful skills that kind of complement one another.
0: How has that like interplay worked? Cause you started out in the marketing function, like I'm guessing leveraging your experience at Microsoft and other places. And then er- around four, uh, four years ago made the transition to CEO? Like what, what did that look like between the founders and how did you come to make that decision?
1: So Drew, Drew and I, my brother and I, were born into plant equipment. So dad was in crushing and screening. And so we, you know, I always had, this industry is in my blood. Um, and yep. I grew up in, you know, his warehouse changing brake, brake pads and the Hiluxes. I um, drew followed in his footsteps, but I made sure I could get out of Townsville as quickly as possible. And so I chose like marketing and all that sort of stuff. So it was such a familiar topic and such a familiar industry um, for me. So it wasn't like I was just, you know, yeah. a Sydney marketer that kind of got her boots dirty. It wasn't like that at all. Um, between the three of us and it's, still remains today an incredibly flat structure between the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um and we run iSeq plant democratically. But it was clear because I had I- I'd worked in big companies like Microsoft and Samsung, I had probably the most polish in front of the investors. And yeah, I, yeah my brother not polished um love him. <laughs> just, used to say, just used to say things and like i'd kick him under the desk it was bad but but like yeah. you know our he'd be good in your
0: really videos went, i reckon
1: oh yeah like he yeah. uh He's so, so intelligent, but, like, I was the one that was really good at sort of um, to talking to investors and messaging mm-hmm. at that sort of executive level. And um, and so, basically, we were just running iSeq Plant just so democratically and then eventually once Seven came in, they said, look, guys, you guys have to actually make a decision here and put someone out in front. And the boys just mm-hmm. went, she's got the best kind of mouth, give her the <laughs> and that's you know how it is today and and we okay. do everything we do everything together we we are trying to split the the business is split into 3 in terms of the amount of people that we actually manage in the projects that are in our remit but when it comes to everything for Iseq plan it's 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 really flat between the three of us and um you know i'm really proud of that and it, that's the way it works for us there's other businesses it works differently for but that's what works for us and the three of us and i need them and they need me and that's how it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And still yeah. all based in Queensland or is it spread out over time?
1: No, we're still based in Queensland. So we, we, we've we experimented with having staff in other markets. Um, mm-hmm. But we our business and our product changes so quickly and we train every day. Like we do training for the sales team every single day. We do training for wow. the other marketing divisions um, at least once a week. We're just that mm-hmm. training organisation, so we found when we had people in different markets, it was really hard to keep their level of skills and experience up to the to where it needed to be. so we' we like we have territory managers and we FIFO everybody into those markets.
0: Do you think that yeah. FIFO element will drop away now that presumably they haven't been during doing that during COVID? Do you think that will stop completely, or there will always be an element of it?
1: Ah, uh, I think it's going to go back to that but maybe not as much I think you know Mm -hmm. it is hard to get hold of our customers I still think there's an element there where they like to look you in the eye yeah we'll do it differently um it's been a big saving that's that's been great but yeah I think there's still going to be a place for face-to-face sales I still think it's the most effective sales methodology um we certainly are growing really fast using just purely phone sales and outbound and inbound Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But um, I still think that given the quantums and the relationships that we're trying to build and the integrated services, customers and stuff like that, I think we'll be still shaking their hand and looking them in the eye.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It feels like that's one thing that I chat to a lot of people where they have what they call like a field sales team, like the one that sees people face to face is they think it'll never go away because to those points, there's an element of trust building that you just can't get remotely that you can get in person, but the frequency will just drop away. So it might be, they used to have to go a couple times a month or every month. And now it might be, they'll go once a quarter and they'll have a great yeah. trip, but then the remote, the rest will be remote, which I think even when you chat to the people that have to do the travel, they're like, that's actually a win. Like I can kind of make oh. it more quality time there and quality yeah. time when I'm home and I'm not like always at the airport.
1: I know. And it's, I've speak to so many other business people I was flying at least once a week and, um, I know it's Alan Joyce's worst nightmare, but we're all over it and we're not going back. And like, even, you know, you you freaking fly status is like part of your self concept, but you (laughs) it's like, it's, it, you just realize how stupid and draining and yeah, don't, uh, I won't be doing It, it as much anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely, this is earmuffs for Alan if he's listening, which I'm not sure he is yet, but I was the same. Like, I was a bit of an addict with getting the status thing back in the day with work, and now I'm like, no, nah, life's too short, I don't care. It's not, I'll, I'm going to fly like a tenth as much as I used to. Yeah. And so I'll There's just, easier okay.
1: ways to get corn chips and salsa, there really is. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. And so, uh, the one thing that's interesting is when you started this marketplace business, and it seemed like that gave rise to this digital agency for those suppliers. Is that now becoming a bigger business, or it'll always be secondary to the marketplace? Like, how do you think about those two and how they interplay?
1: Well, i I think about it the way Google thinks about it, which is the marketplace is the castle; everything's a moat. I think. Mm-hmm you know, there's a, a benefit in, in having your customers more committed to you and using more of your services. And if you're, you know, we're very well regarded for our lead generation services, our performance marketing, cause we're doing it for our own business. So, um, it mm-hmm. was pretty easy, like as a cross sell opportunity and it was highly in demand. So it was just a really natural evolution and it's not uncommon for marketplaces to do stuff like this. So, um, yeah it's not a huge stretch of the imagination.
0: do you think that'll become bigger than the marketplace over time or no. they'll be similar marketplace will always be bigger
1: yeah always yep yeah. it's the um it's definitely the jewel in the crown of of the services we'll provide and it's the enabler.
0: why is that that is that because the suppliers are often smaller businesses
1: our um, customer base is SME absolutely. And that's Mm. the whole of industrial services and construction. So there's like, across all of the segments is like 370,000 businesses, and there's only 2 million businesses in Australia. So it's like, it's a massive, massive piece of the pie. Um, Mm. so basically, uh, the SME market, there's so many people to aggregate. There's so much fragmentation so many businesses out there that want more work, that want lower mm-hmm. cost lead generation, you know, I, I, the marketplace is, is where all the growth is and will be and then everything else will be supplementary. But our vision is to sort of be the life, the digital lifeblood of industrial services. Like we want to provide our customers with more and more value creating kind of software opportunities that makes their businesses work better, that strips out costs, mm-hmm. that makes them more competitive and lowers that cost of, acquiring a customer because the cost of acquiring a customer in this industry is astronomical if you're not using the web.
0: Yeah, it actually reminds Mm -hmm. me a lot. So before HubSpot, I worked at Red Balloon and that actually had a lot of similar dynamics. Yeah, exactly. It's an experience marketplace. And then they also had a business of selling software to those suppliers to help them run their overall business because the marketplace... I mean, in some instances, it drove a huge percentage of their overall revenue. In some instances, it was less. But they still, to your point, like it was a very fragmented industry and there was a lot of um, systems and processes and technology that the individual suppliers weren't aware of but could help Mm. them run their business more efficiently. Uh, And it it works really, really well. Is Is there a company you've seen that you kind of take inspiration from that's like, oh, they're doing what we want to do but in a different industry or even in the same industry in a different country?
1: I think car sales is pretty inspirational. Like if you wind back the clock 20 years and like figure out, we do a lot of reading up on how they did things because I think you've got a a lot of similar market dynamics there. Like you've got Mm -hmm. male family-owned male audience family-owned businesses um spread across the whole country uh, dealing with uh inventory assets you know there's like a lot of a lot of parallels you can draw and the way in which they provide sort of an end-to-end solution for assets throughout their whole life cycle is really interesting to us um yeah. and you know we've actually one of the one of the, I think the unique things about IC plan is that we've actually catalogued over 320,000 assets. as like close to $6 billion worth of gear on our platform. And that data wow. alone is interesting. And there's, I think there's some more juice for the squeeze in the data side of our business and things like that. Mm-hmm. We just, it's all just a matter of time, really like yep. how much time and investment and which we've got all these opportunities and these exciting things we could tackle. Um, it's like, how much can you really take on? And I think, based on like our history and the way that we receive capital and, and went through investment cycles, we just got really, really good at prioritisation mm-hmm. and, and tackling things in the correct order and really rationalising what we were going to focus on and then really focusing on certain subjects and just nailing it and and persevering until we did nail it. And that's kind of really yep. a big part of our DNA is making sure that we're not just like running around town, wasting money, pivoting, changing, you know, we just, we always had the right business model in terms of the fundamental economics of the directory and the marketplace side of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that we've just, we've just turned the cogs around the, around the edges rather than, you know, spend a lot of time and investors money just kind of pivoting all over town.
0: Pivoting is one of those things that it sounds good, but it's also like, uh it, it, it doesn't even necessarily sound good it depends who you're talking <laughs> to but there's an element of like you no know, sometimes you just need to persevere to fix the thing pivoting is actually another word for giving up sometimes where it's like you yeah. logically can know what the right path is and it's like you know like building a muscle like it's simple but hard and you need to stick with it to to get it done
1: a hundred percent like just we're just we're just really good at digging in. We just dig in and dig in and dig in. I mean, I I believe there's always um, an opportunity to look at your business model and figure out, like, how can you incrementally improve it? How can we twist something here into something there? And when you've got, like, a recurring business model too, like, it gets really interesting some of the levers that you can pull to change the dynamics. But I've, I've come up against so many conversations with investors where they were convinced that our subscription business model was wrong and that... We could take a clip from the construction ticket price mm-hmm. and we knew all along that would never work because the jobs that go through ic plant are like 2 million bucks and no one is going to give us a clip of anything of that value and i would see it i can't tell you how many people how many people in the investment community i've had to explain that to and yeah and we just knew all along, right? And I've, had to come, I've come up against some really robust criticism of like, why don't you do clip the ticket? Why don't you do pay on performance and all this stuff? And we're like, it's just never, ever going to land here. We know it. And we've yeah. had competitors cry and
0: just go to the wall over it. It sounds like, as you said at the start, like this industry is in your blood. And so you knew like deep down, like how the industry would react to things. It sounds like your competitors, I'm guessing didn't have that kind of DNA that maybe meant they would try those things.
1: If you look at the broad metrics and um, mm-hmm. like in terms of traffic, if you look at the number of assets listed on the marketplace and stuff like that, we're in front of everybody in the world who's tried this this thing on. Wow. And I'm not try. I'm not trying. That was a humble brag, wasn't it? Sorry. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't even that humble. Actually, it was just a straight. No, it brag. wasn't that humble. No, it
0: was just a straight fact, though. Like that's that just fact. is what it is. No, but like yeah.
1: When, yeah, when you look at both the, the, both the sides of the marketplace and, and even the economics of what, like turnover and stuff like that. And some of the other, there's been something missing in everybody's models because this is such a complex problem to solve. Like the Mm -hmm. amount of machines, the way the sites are like, there is so many nuances. It is so not vanilla. It is every, so many problems with the complexity of your user base and your customer base and their machines and how they earn money and their margin and where they're based. And it just becomes a really, really, it is a complicated issue to solve. Um, And when I look at the different business models that have popped up all over the world and I look at who the founders are, they're, they're missing some, like some of them, some, some of them haven't come from the industry and you can tell that. And then yep. some have come from the industry and they're really industry focused, but they have no experience in building traffic and driving SEO and social and they don't get the demand side. And so, you know, you really do have a look at the, the, the. and then some of the other little guys that have come into our market, like there's been 13 or so websites launched and only a few of us are still on, even on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. They've started a website with the same assumption we started it with, which is no money, thinking it could be small and then, you know, just not had investment. And, but a lot of the times, like if I look at all of the marketplaces across the world, the one thing no one has done very well is demand gen. They just can't do the traffic bit. And we've always spent so much time on that. Like it's, it's also, that's kind of part of my DNA. I had to kind of turn myself into an SEO. Um, Yeah. Because we couldn't afford to pay anyone to be
0: one, so <laughs> I think I think that is totally true. I remember at uh like Red Balloon did a pretty good job of it, but I remember an internal presentation going around when I was there, and it was like we should be a oh like an experience content marketing business that just happens to sell experiences, if that makes sense. So like our whole we should be a digital media brand about experiences, and it just so happens to be the thing that we sell, and it's like you could imagine that could be a website getting tens, hundreds of millions of visits every month from people like reading about different experiences or wanting to check them out and um the SEO thing is it's so weirdly underappreciated for oh, still
1: man. It's our how powerful it like, is. Yeah. It's our special source. It really is. Like so it was it was two thousand I moved back here in two thousand and thirteen and I realized really quickly that we were, we were trading in traffic. Like we are actually selling traffic. So we had to generate that, that needed to be the thing that we did all day long, all day, every day. Mm. And so I would sit on my couch and I would watch videos from Matt Cutts, who was like the head of, yeah he was the only guy allowed to talk about search back then. Um, and I would read I would listen to everything. I'd read everything I'd be in like the search engine world forums, like asking questions and I'd be tracking the algorithm. The first thing I do still today is I wake up and I look at our webmaster tools every morning. It's like, I kiss my husband. Hello. And then I'm on webmaster tools. Like I just, (laughs) we're addicted to it. It's a really complex field. And so I would go off to MozCon and, um, you know, all of the, um, summits and I would learn and learn and learn. And then I started writing the blog and that got us a heap of traffic. And yeah, so Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's search is like so much a part of our DNA. We actually run a search internship here for uni graduates and undergrads.
0: Oh Um,
1: yeah. So search is such a big thing. And because we have such a massive site, like it's a, it's such a huge site with all these pages and all these locations that we, we never met a single agency that could understand, understand the scale of what we we're doing, like from a search yeah. point of view. Um, so yeah, search is like is a beat the beating heart of IC plant. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I think for any marketplace, it's like, as you, uh, like, uh, you're totally right. Like you're as a marketplace, you are arbitraging traffic. And if you can't generate that traffic, you're not going to be able to create value. For you don't exist. So, like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, so even in the US, like I know often in when there's like geographical businesses, um, like, you know, you're obviously just focused on Australia. The US sometimes tends to be ahead. There hasn't, you're outpacing even competitors there in terms of your size and scale.
1: Well, like, yes, in terms of the sort of the marketplace side of things, there's some different models over there that we've been tracking and some have pivoted to like a digital lead gen platform, not an sort of asset directory. There's these massive competitive pressures over there, like United Rentals and um, some of the big plan high companies can just like make decisions over there and just end you overnight like we've seen some marketplaces that were doing okay a couple of years ago just get
0: wiped out by one decision i loved your videos your videos are so good
1: yeah that's like like, so that uber one has seen two million people
0: that's wild it's almost like i feel like it's like the lad bible for construction you've like not niche down yeah without the sexism and and, yeah yeah
1: because Not on my watch, but um, it's very, very blokey. There's no question it's very blokey, Mm -hmm. yeah, but so is our audience.
0: Is that more of raising awareness for your brand and just good fun or it's like, no, actually this is direct response style advertising It's helping us convert customers? Like how did you think about it?
1: There's an element of social marketing that's brand marketing in my opinion. You know, gone are the days where you kind of need to build a you know, organic audience in order to be able to create an advertising audience, like Facebook has loosened all of that up now. Um, yep. But the the viral campaigns that we've done have always sat within a, like, within sort of the brand marketing vibe. And because we've mm-hmm. got, like, a large marketing database and stuff, we were able to deliver our um, viral content out through our social footprint, which is really big. It's like across all the platforms is about 212,000 followers now. Um, and then through our marketing databases and then through the sales team and then through other paid channels and things like that. So it builds the brand and it builds the brand identity, but I, it is hard to trace to exact exact exactly generation, which is probably the reason why my board was always giving me a hard time about it. But, um, Mm -hmm. You know, we are like performance marketers down to the dollar. We know we're using paid channels, and we know lead acquisition costs, attributed revenue to marketing, and things like that. Thank you, HubSpot. Um, yes. And <laughs> uh, you know, so we're we're those kind of marketers. So when we actually need mm-hmm. to do the brand work, which we need to do, it is it is hard to make the case for it. It is hard to make the case for it in terms of like costs and expenses.
0: It's almost like you were saying people coming into your industry without truly grasping how it works i think when you try to like overmeasure brand you're just in a like an exercise in futility i think you need to stop at the level of look this the more people that hear about us in the right context and 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 like enjoy what they're hearing the better we are as a company this is helping us achieve that period the end and like we'll we'll just allocate a certain amount of our time to this and we're not going to over measure it. Like our measurement stops at that equation where it's like the more people that hear about us and like find our videos entertaining and share it with friends, like that's a good thing.
1: I think it's all worked together. Like the seven investment was really, really powerful for our business because it was such a big brand that was behind us. Plus, the Stokes family name in plant equipment is really huge. So yeah. they're in West Track and Coats Hire. So it was such a big endorsement. And then, you know, using some, almost some above the line tactics in social was really, really important to communicate the message that we were the, the legitimate sort of market leader in the vertical and things like that. Because it's weird. It's like the plant hire industry and the construction industrial services supplier space has very few concrete concepts about, digital businesses and things like that. But one thing they did know is that there would be one prevailing marketplace. And when all these competitors were coming out, they had to pick a horse to back. And as the years went by, it was us. Um, And so, you know, and they would say to us, well, it's obvious, you know, you guys are, are, are." so we had created sort of that number one idea in their brain that we had sort of come further along than anyone else. Um, And all of those, it, it's all marketing is like a million touch points and you can you can do last kick, click attribution you can do first click attribution you can do whatever but it all it all adds up and and whenever we've done those viral campaigns the business has really taken off like at the same yeah. time
0: the sales have gone through the roof so that's always comforting if your board's pushing you too hard well look at the sales not as <laughs> fast still do it though.
1: yeah they, <laughs> i get it I get it yeah. it seems it, I mean there's creative risk in it, too, right? so we're 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 sort of debating that at the moment because the last one was so successful. Like, are we going to be able to be as funny again? It's always a big question, Mark.
0: That's tricky. What um, what was it about? Was it just business performance that made it clear to them that you were going to be the dominant marketplace or there was some other element?
1: I think well, it's a pretty early stage investment. I think mm. a lot of early stage investments really center around people and founders and whether, whether you get along and they you fit in their portfolio and all that sort of stuff in terms of them picking us and obviously I'm not them so I don't know but I I definitely know they looked at other competitor in our in our vertical and decided that our business model was more robust and that um that it was more appropriate for the industry um yeah. and that you know and and I think having gone through a, a recent investment process which with Macquarie Bank and they're very very astute investors you know they understood that our our business model was profitable and um and growing and capital efficient and so yeah so we've always been really prudent as people have run the business but uh I shouldn't speak for Macquarie I'm not
0: (laughs) no well I mean the fact that they invest says a lot doesn't it? It's like, well, they just put their money where their mouth is literally. So
1: Yeah, well, they rarely get it wrong. I've got to hope they were right this time too.
0: Yeah, it's not. It certainly sounds like they are. What And when you look to the future, so you've obviously had a lot of success so far and, and seem to be leading the pack in this industry. What does seek Plant look like in five, 10 years? Does it go the way of car sales and become a big public company or you want to keep growing it privately and see what happens? What does that look like?
1: I think, you know, you you certainly, it's not wise to list a business like this until you've got the business model baked because there's no, there's no opportunity once you're, once you're listed for you to take risks or pivot or change what you're doing. So there's, we've done heaps and heaps of research in this space because our ultimate aim is to make sure that our shareholders just get a really great outcome at the end of the day whenever that horizon is and we maintain i maintain a lot of information and research on the different outcomes that are available to i plant um and sorry someone's no, getting clapped right. out there Pe-
0: people um, were happy about the options staying open
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're pretty self-congratulatory. Self-congrat- it's probably something really small that happened. Like, I don't know, <laughs> someone opened right on an email.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Someone, someone came into work on time. It was like, oh, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah. No, well, on Fridays we send out like weekly news update wrap out and they all crowd around yeah. one of the main TVs on the floor and they like cheer how many people are on real time on Google analytics. It's pretty cute. <laughs> uh, they've got like personal bests cool. and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so we're definitely, um, we're seeking to expand iSeek plants um, categories across all of industrial services um, Mm -hmm. and go, you know, beyond plant equipment through services and supply. So I would really hope that we would be the central marketplace for industrial suppliers in the future. And that's, that's where we're at. And then as part of that, we're sort of offering software and services to more and more suppliers in industrial services for, in a B2B capacity in terms of exit and things like that, I mean, we do heaps of research around what the potential outcomes are for us and our shareholders. Um, and I think we're just working towards the best possible value outcome for them. And Mm -hmm. that might be a listing that might be a trade sale. It, I don't know. Um, I have a saying that you can take me out of ice seek plan in a pine box. Um,
0: so (laughs) (laughs) that has to be baked into it yeah
1: yeah so they they take me out in a pine box or they sack me but either way uh, i would like to be on the roller coaster for as long as possible i guess having too firm a concept around what the end state looks like i think is kind of pointless
0: yeah no i i agree i think whenever someone has a crystal clear thought around something that's so hard to predict it's like "Mm, that's cute but there's a lot beyond your control and like You can just do the best you can and see what options you've got at the end of the day.
1: I love our shareholder base. And I like there's some friends and family amongst them and people that took a bet on us that were in the really early years when we were just a business plan. And I -hmm. I feel so much gratitude towards them. And I just can't wait for the day that, you know, I get to deliver a big, like novelty check. Um, Yeah, (laughs)
0: that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. This podcast series, we've been interviewing businesses where they've taken an unconventional approach to a problem and they were right. And because of that, they've seen a ton of success. And it sounds like, you know, you took an unconventional approach where you tried to use the internet to help power businesses for people that didn't even necessarily think the internet was a thing. Uh, I think now that now they're not able to deny that, but what no. are you doing something now that's unconventional that people are saying like, no, that that doesn't exist or that my business doesn't need that or the industry doesn't need that. You're like, oh, we actually think it does and this is this is why.
1: I think there's just the very mashup of trying to digitalize an industry like ours that's like all dirt and you know, we got guys running twenty-five million dollars worth of assets on a whiteboard. And they're still yeah. doing it. Like construction yeah. is paper tickets with like pie finger marks on it you know it's it's so antiquated in some areas some areas are like streaming forward at the speed of light right so one of our investors yeah. position partners does like machine control and gps positioning and survey technology and that stuff's been around for donkey's years but in terms of google facebook inbound lead generation yeah um online marketing uh e-commerce things like that it's just it's it is such a juxtaposition from that world to the world that we see on sites and in our customers offices. And, you know, the the fact that they're they're doing it the hard way and there's so many things we can help them with and so many new ways of doing things that help them make more money and to compete uh, and things like
0: that. That's one of the interesting things that this year has somewhat shown is that people are still early in digitizing their business i think a lot of companies that are helping businesses digitize have actually had a banner year like they've a lot of people who were late to adopt and now been forced to adopt like you were saying with video calls earlier yeah but i think it's still early like i think there's still actually a ton left to do before everybody's up and running digitally and is running their businesses efficiently. And to your point, not using whiteboards for pretty serious sums of money. They've got software that helps them do that more efficiently and they can grow their business better because of it. So I think it's still probably where you started. It's just, we're just very early in that transition.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing like, so So, if, if you see the, like the normal profile of our customers, so they've got this business, they've got all these assets, they've got quite a bit of bank debt or some other thing that's kind of funding the assets and they need to keep the assets moving because of utilisation means that, you know, after about 75% utilisation, they start to make money. And so over the top of that, they've got all these massive safety processes, people, um, and other headcount costs and things like that. Um, then they've got business development costs, which is kind of where we come in. And what they have been doing is what I explained earlier, which is putting guys in site, you know, in utes and driving them around to site sheds and trying to drum up business or flying them to see a contractor in Sydney or, you know, making outbound phone calls or whatever. So it, it's it's that that part of it is so, so expensive. And then then there's these other types of businesses that are popping up. Well, they're not popping up, they're kind of changing to being more of an inbound model. So we're seeing some of like, companies that we've been working with since the very, very beginning that have been on our platform since day one that have been able to change the dynamics of their business to be like a control centre in the main depot where Mm -hmm. the leads and the calls coming into them and they don't have guys that are going out and they don't have the, the whole handshake motion where they win work that way. They're basically receiving the leads, the tender opportunities, the different jobs, they're pricing them and they're sending, they're sending their prices out and then they're winning it on that basis. And they've got like, some of them have got one or two headcount in their head office that are handling sales inquiries and, and managing a CRM and things like that. And so just, just that very, big shift in a cost base Mm. in the way that people are running their sales flow and managing um like a sales funnel and thinking of it like a sales funnel and how many how many quotes do they have out and how many are likely to close and what is our forecast for this month and what can we do to close more of our quotes and where's our pricing at and yeah it's like it's a completely different way of working and thinking about driving their business compared to what they thought was necessary, which is, you know, attending trade shows and sponsoring Mm. a race car and
0: um
1: stuff like that. I saw
0: I saw in one of your videos uh the guy claiming a receipt for like fifteen hundred dollars spent at some restaurant that was like maybe questionable. I was like Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, that still happens. Uh, yeah. It's not needed for marketing,
1: though, anymore, but they are. Uh, yeah, it still happens. Not here at IC Plant.
0: No. Well, no, it sounds like uh you, the efficiencies are clear. And it sounds like you have helped demonstrate to a lot of your customers exactly how clear, and they're growing as a result. And that, you know, COVID aside, it's a move that everybody clearly needs to make if they're in a low, lowish margin. But, expensive industry, you need to try to find that margin wherever you can. And, uh, embracing these like modern marketing and sales approaches helps you do that. So it's kind of, it's, it's pretty clear. And that's why obviously you guys have been super successful so far.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I get scared about it saying that we're super successful. Cause I just feel like we've got such a long journey ahead and, yeah. and, and I guess my horizons are set on, um, us getting to a destination where we're much bigger and we have, you know, so many more customers a lot more services and things like that. So, so far, so good. It's been a really tough nine years, but it's starting to get really fun and the growth, you know, when you're growing, it's fun. And, uh, that's kind of where we're at right now.
0: Well, congratulations on the success so far. And, uh, I, I, I think it's prudent for you to be paranoid, but also, uh, enjoying it I I think it's a home run and that you guys are going to continue Aww. to grow like crazy so
1: thanks well thanks for all your support like uh, yeah we've built our whole business at, with HubSpot at the core of it and it's a really well, we're doubling down we're going even harder this year Where. Um, so, yeah, like it's a, such an important tool in in us optimizing our spend and you know executing on that capital efficiency and the tracking of our sales team and the constant efficiencies and optimizations of our sales and marketing divisions. so thank you for building great software and uh and being supportive of us as a partner in Australia.
0: Of course, we are definitely getting that cut in the podcast. <laughs> Sally, thank you so much for joining us today and congratulations on the success so far. It sounds like it's definitely, it was hard fought in the early years, but now you're starting to see uh, a lot of growth that I'm confident will continue for the future. So congratulations and thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me and thanks for um, thanks for being such a supportive partner of Plan.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Unconventional Business by HubSpot. If you liked what you listened to, please subscribe and I'll catch you on the next episode.